Our final reading today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 36 through 43. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with the request, request, please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him in the room upstairs, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Now Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up, then calling the saints and widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he, meaning Peter, stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. Friends, let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So if any of you have ever been in a group before, you know, you're trying to do icebreakers, eventually you have one of those icebreakers that asks the question, well, what is the thing that you fear the most, right? It's after, like, the really fun ones, right? Like, what are the, what's the, like, two truths and a lie and all the fun ones, and then you get to the more serious ones. So like many other groups I've been in, I've had to answer that question. What's the one thing that you're afraid of more than anything in the world? And of course, as people go around, you hear things like, well, I'm afraid of the water. I'm afraid of flying. I'm afraid of heights, spiders, snakes. I mean, take your pick. And then it came around to me. And when I was younger, in my, my mid-20s, I would often say that the biggest fear I had more than anything else was living a life of insignificance. I always felt like that was the thing because I've been granted this life. God has given me certain gifts and abilities, and so my biggest fear was that I wasn't going to be able to use them well, and as a result, have wasted my life. And so my biggest fear in my 20s was insignificance. And that was tied to, in part, that I wanted to do something really big, right? I felt like, and I feel like every person in their mid-20s feels this way, like, more of their life is laid out in front of them. They've just finished their first degree, and the world's their oyster, and so they're going to tackle something big. And so sadly, what I found was, as I got older, those two things were far more connected than I wonder if they should have been, that my life needed to be significant. In order for my life to be significant, I needed to do something really big. And the older I get now... It's only 10 years or so. <laughs> the older I get, uh, the more I realize that it is probably not the big thing that I do that lead to significance. Maybe I'll still do something big in my life. It'd be fun. Um, 
Or, maybe put another way, I've already done big things in my life. I have two children to attest to that. But it might be some other things that I feel like I should be given some sort of fanfare for. Maybe that'll happen. I don't, I don't know. But it really is all of the little ways in my life so far in these last 10 years that I think I have been living a life of significance. But again, that's not what's written about most of the time, right? Man helps spouse do dishes. Man notices receipt was improperly undercharged, tells waiter, report at 11. Hashtag good guy. You know, that stuff just doesn't happen, right? Unless it might be, you know, some slow news day put across at 6 o'clock, 6.25, just sort of the last thing, like, oh, just so that we're not talking about a half hour of really terrible things, we talk about one nice good thing. It's not really what's written about. And I think we can do the same thing to this passage in Acts as well, right? We get to hear about Peter, Peter, the rock of the church, the one who denied Jesus three times but then was restored. Peter, upon you, I will build my church. And here Peter comes in full glory to ride over to this woman's house and brings her to life. Awesome. Big stuff. Like, if I could eventually resurrect somebody, I think I will have achieved my big significant thing that would be written about. But if we do that, if we just focus on the big, dramatic thing that we can celebrate and get really excited about, we end up missing the focus of the person who was apparently doing enough to get resurrected in the first place, and that was Tabitha. Now, it's been interesting, and one of the really cool things the biggest vote-getter so far of everybody who has sent in sermon things, and please take a moment to fill that out and put it in so I can get to 32. Just another check for that. Is women in the Bible. Four of you out of the group want to hear more about women in the Bible, which is awesome. And here is one of the best examples of somebody in Acts today. Is Tabitha. Do you know that Tabitha when she is described as a disciple in 936, right at the beginning, it's the only time in the entire New Testament that the word disciple is translated in the feminine. We have talked about other women who are disciples, but this is the only time that Luke specifically calls out a woman as a disciple. And usually when those things happen, it's worth throwing up a flag and saying, something must be going on here. Who is Tabitha? Why is it important to know? If any of you have taken Spanish or some of those other things, you know if you get a group of men and women, oftentimes that plural is translated into masculine. So we know oftentimes that there could be men and women in crowds, but here is a time when it's just Tabitha. Tabitha is the important one. And so instead of worrying about all of the big significant stuff that Peter's done, and maybe three years from now that'll be the sermon to preach, today I want to focus on Tabitha. Because as the story is told about Tabitha, we get to learn a little bit more about what made her a particularly special disciple. First, she's devoted to good works and charity. That's like the first thing you hear about her, right? 
You don't even hear that she had died yet. The first thing you know is that this is Tabitha. She's a disciple of Jesus, number one, devoted to good works and charity. <clears throat> now, word, that word devoted, when we hear it in English translated, it sometimes I don't think always gives us the full depth. In the Greek, this word is meant to be full of. This is like her cup, the cup of her life, just is overflowing with charity and good works. It just fills up and comes out. If you imagine your own life being filled up with something and pouring out for the rest of the world to see, that is who Tabitha was with good works and charity. And the word charity here, I love this definition. It's a distribution of flowing kindness to the poor through goods. I'm going to say that again. A distribution of flowing kindness to the poor through goods. So Tabitha had more than she knew what to do with in charity and good works, and she just gave it away. This is a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, the second thing we see about her is that the widows mourn her. I wanted us, when we heard the text, to slow down a moment and try to imagine if we were in an upper room with somebody who had passed. We were Peter, and we walked around. And here are multiple women weeping, showing their clothing, showing the literal good work that Tabitha had done. Can you imagine that scene? How heartrending it would be to see all of those folks saying, when Tabitha was with us, this is what she did. This is who Tabitha was. Now, we don't know the connection of Tabitha with the widows. Maybe she was a caretaker. Or maybe just the fact that her cup was so full of good works and charity that it just flowed over the widows for no other good reason other than it was the thing to do as a disciple of Jesus Christ. But what we do know is that they were poor. These were folks that were intended to be cared for by disciples of Jesus. And they showed, again, their tunics in their grief, their clothing. Now, this was difficult work around that time, the turn of the millennia, the first century. You know, I know, when I look at all three of these, I know these took work. Even the most gifted hands don't do this without carving out some time in their week. Each one of these are a story of somebody. And so you expose the tunic and you say, look at what Tabitha did for us. It was much harder to create clothing back then. If I just showed you this t-shirt or this, this dress shirt, it wouldn't exactly have the same impact. But these quilts and these shawls are the best analog that I could imagine to what the widows were showing Peter about the impact of who Tabitha was to them. Tabitha meant so much to these people, and we hear about the men who went to go get Peter, so it wasn't just the widows that she mattered to, it was the men in this community as well, loved her and, they, and she meant so much to them that they wanted her to be resurrected. These simple activities that don't carry banners or headlines were important enough that the community could not surrender her to permanent death 
and instead she is called back to life. God saw it fit to bring Tabitha back to life through Peter. That is a statement. Don't pass that by. Tabitha, the one who knitted shawls for widows, was important enough that God saw fit to resurrect her and bring her to life. Not fancy, but significant. In the end, the holy story of healing is with Tabitha and those widows, not necessarily entirely with Peter and the resurrection. They were given gifts of deep work and worth by someone who just overflowed with the desire to serve. Tabitha is one of the best examples I think we can have of what it means to be a disciple, what does it mean to live a life of discipleship. It's following Jesus, living out the holy story, doing the things that you're good at without fanfare, and giving them away like there is nothing left that you can do other than continue to flow out the good works that are in you. And they are in you. They don't have to be dramatic. They can be, I like to knit. And I know somebody in my church just had a son born seven weeks early. Maybe we should give them something that reminds them that they're loved. This guy works with college students all the time. He has to raise half his salary. Wouldn't it be nice that when he goes to pray in the morning that he knows that he is surrounded by someone who loves him? This church cares about its pastor. Maybe we should make sure that they, their family gets a, a, a quilt. And this is like one of four that we have. The kids each have one. These matter. Of course, I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention something about Mother's Day today, right? And for some of us, as we gather here today, Mother's Day is a good day, right? We get to be with our families, we, the royal we. Um, we get to be reminded that we're loved. We get to be reminded that the work that we have done, the ways that we have cared, the ways we have overflown to our families has mattered. But for some of us, today is not an easy day. For some of us, today is a struggle. For some of us, this is another year, another Sunday that goes by when we remember the pain of our past. We remember mothers who might not have been able to love or chose not to love us. There's some of us that look on this day with grief or frustration because we could not or do not want to have children or there are some men in this group, perhaps, who had to take on the role of mother to others, and they can feel a little out of place on this day. But at its core, I think, this day, this Mother's Day, this Mothering Day, is a day that we remember people like Tabitha, whose overflow of good works and charity may have fallen upon one of us, and may perhaps have healed us in some special way. And this need not just be language somehow limited to the feminine. 
which might be the biggest curse sometimes when we talk about mothering and gentle spirits and loving one another and overflowing with charity. Overtly, let's not forget just a few weeks ago, Jesus referenced himself like a mother hen, wanting to bring the wings around Jerusalem. And it's not that far of a stretch, I think, to hear the language of the shepherd in the same way. Tabitha, in her overflow, was a shepherd to the widows, the shepherd to the men in the community, and Jesus was a mother hen to us, gathering us as a brood under the wings. So who has been a Tabitha in your life? Maybe it's your mother. Maybe it's also other people. Maybe it's a person that in your heart you imagine as your mother. But there's where this holy story of healing can meet you in a practical way today. And so before we go into our next hymn, I invite you just to take a moment. And think about the Tabitha in your life. Because while I'm not certain I will ever have the gift of resurrecting somebody, every time I remember those special people that maybe if they have passed, their memory is resurrected and their spirit comes near us even just one more time. So take a moment, if that person has passed, and resurrect them. And then we'll sing. Thanks be to God.